It's so exciting in this fall season. As a church community, we're currently in a sermon series on the book of Romans. We're going through the entire book of Romans. We're starting it in the fall, and we're going to continue it next spring as well. And really on this road in the book of Romans, we're going back to basics. Back to basics in what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus with a renewed passion, with a renewed commitment, and a new dedication to him. This is not wasted time as we've talked about at Imago, this time of social distancing and pandemic and virtual. This is not wasted time. This is an opportunity to draw near to God as he draws near to us. So as a community, we're going back to the heart of the gospel and to the heart of worship. And throughout this sermon series, we're going to be hearing testimonies from different members in our church community. I have the privilege today of inviting our dear sister, Liz Renteria, to be able to lead us in a testimony this morning. And she's going to share just a bit of what going back to basics means to her, what it means to go back to that passion for Jesus. So let's go ahead and welcome Liz. Thank you, Pastor. I'm going back to the basics for myself, remembering how I first felt when I fell in love with the, with the Word of God. I felt fire, hunger, thirst for the Word of God. And sometimes along the way, we just tend to forget how we first felt when we fell in love with God. We tend to get um, distracted. We become busy, such as with work, school, kids, um, problems, discouragement. However, through those times, we need to ask God to reignite that fire we once felt, meaning reignite, revive, restore, and flame. So we need to remind the Lord that when we do tend to forget, to reignite what we once felt for the Lord. So I'm just going to go ahead and just pray for us and just prepare your hearts. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father God, that you reignite that fire, Father God, that we once felt before, Lord, when we first fell in love with you, Father God. We come before you, Lord, and we just ask, Lord, to remind us, Father God, how we once felt, Lord, when we first fell in love with you, Jesus. That first awe, that first cry, that first burn, that first fire, Lord, we felt, Father God. Father God, we just come Father God, and we just ask God to reignite, to revive, to inflame, Lord, that fire, Lord, that we once felt, Father God, to go back, Lord, to the basics, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Liz, for that wonderful testimony reminding us of what it means to go back to basics, to the heart of God. And we're going to be hearing from different folks in our congregation throughout this fall season as well, answering the same question. And maybe you can answer the same question right at home with your family, with your community, at your watch party, whatever you're doing right now. What does it mean to go back to basics, to go back to this renewed heart and fire for the Lord.
Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You can follow along in your Bibles or you can hear God's word read aloud. Romans, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Romanos, capítulo 2, versículos 1 al 11. For those following along in Spanish at home, you can follow along in your Bibles or you can read God's word aloud in, in, on the projector screen as well on the slide. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you because there is no one like you. You are a God who created us in your image, so you do not show favoritism with any particular tribe, any particular culture, any particular group. But Lord, because of Jesus, you put us all on common ground. And so, Lord, today we just pray that you would be able to help us to see the truth about you and the truth about ourselves. We trust you, Lord, and we know that your word is living and active and you will speak to us today. We pray all these things in the faithful name of Jesus. Amen. In Romans, as we've said, we're going back to basics. We talked a couple of weeks ago of what it means to go back to the gospel. We talked last week of what it means to find our citizenship in heaven. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what God does in the context of community and unlikely community, like what we just read about in the scripture. In Romans, we find that God creates an unlikely community. 
He sees two communities and he makes them into one new community. In fact, he calls them a new humanity where Jews and Greeks in the context of Romans, two very different cultural groups, they come together and make one new people, God's people. The church in Rome had both Jews and Gentiles. It had Jews and Greeks, richer and poorer people, and everything in between. It had a variety of people in so-called social statuses, of ethnicities, of cultures, and in fact, at the time, the, the early Christians were actually under an empire, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire didn't even know what to do with this group of Christians, with the, these Christ-like people. So what they did is the Roman Empire, they just called them Christians. Not as a new category, but as an end of categories because they didn't know what to do with this unlikely group of people with Jews and Greeks together, Jews and Gentiles together, and everything in between together in this unlikely community. In fact, the church in the book of Romans was made up of people who probably wouldn't be friends on their own accord. And that's the truth about the church even today. The church that we read about here in the scriptures was really made up of people that would have probably passed each other on the street or in the marketplace. But now, because of Jesus, they are a new community together. They are what Paul calls a new humanity. They are not just one culture or another culture, but they are a third culture, a gospel-centered, Christ-like culture. And this... What we read about here, God bringing two groups together and making them into one new group, one new family, this is a story of hope through relationships, of restoration, a story of people who, again, wouldn't ordinarily belong together, but now they are connected and they are unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in the book of Romans, we see the Holy Spirit at work bringing together an unlikely community. And when we, we see God at work in that way, we see a story of reconciliation, of restoration, of two very different people groups, two very different cultures learning more about God when they actually go deeper with each other. They did that then, we can do the same today. Going back to basics in this season through the book of Romans is an invitation that invites us to not conform. Not only to not conform to, you know, the worldly things and the principalities and the tribalism out there, because, yeah, you and I know there's plenty of that already. But Romans invites us to even go a step further. For those of us that are coming from a church background or familiar with it, Romans invites us to break out of the shell of complacent cultural Christianity. To break out of the shell of the mindset of club insiders and club outsiders. Romans shatters all of that. Because here we see 
a story about God. And specifically, a God who shows no favoritism. We read that here in Romans 2, verses 10 to 11. It says this, But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. What does that mean? It's kind of a big word. What does it mean that God doesn't show favoritism to one group over another group? It means that in God's eyes, there is no ethnic, geographical, or cultural barriers any longer that are in the way of anyone to experience new life with God and with others. There is no ethnic, geographical, or cultural group that is somehow closer to God or further from God. But because of the grace of God, we are all in common ground. And in fact, what we see here in the early church, God bringing together Jews and Gentiles and Greeks, we, we see that we, as God's people, we can become open more open to God's presence, and we can experience a deeper intimacy in unlikely community. We can experience that deeper intimacy with God and with each other, even deeper than if we are just in community with people who already look, think, act like us, and agree with us. We come to know God intimately in the context of unlikely community. A gospel-centered community is exactly that. It's an unlikely community. It's not just a manufactured club or a manufactured tribe. In a gospel community, since it is unlikely, that means that we are not in control of God or of what God is up to in making this new people, this new, com- this new, com- this new humanity, this new community. We're not in control of God and we cannot contain the great God that we worship. He is up to something new, something bigger than what we could think of or even imagine. So what we see God do over and over again because he likes to work in unlikely circumstances, God will constantly and consistently break through our barriers. He'll break through our comforts. God will break through our expectations And in fact, God showing no favoritism, God showing no partiality is a testimony that God is not here to take sides. Yes, even when it comes to political parties or elections, God is not here to take sides, but God is here to take over and to reclaim all things back to himself. That's the new thing that God is up to. That's the bigger thing. And the early church in the book of Romans was aware of that. We see this early family of God was made up of both Jews and Greeks and everything in between. Yet another example that we see here of God working hope through relationships, of people experiencing the hope of Christ through restored and unlikely relationships. The early community of Jesus followers and the communities that they represent are actually 
opening up their eyes and their ears to God when they are open to people that are different than them. Unlikely community is a picture of the kingdom of God. From the very start, a multicultural community was a picture of God's family. And that continues to be the call today. The apostles, many of the early church leaders, were actually culturally Jewish. And yet many of their congregants were comprised or made up of people of different cultures, Greeks and Gentiles. Gentiles, which simply means people of non-Jewish culture or non-Jewish heritage. And so I love how at Imago we have all kinds of groups and cultures represented. We even have uh, several folks that do have a Jewish uh, culture and heritage. But for the most part, most of us would be in this Gentile category, including myself, which means people of non-Jewish culture or heritage. So there were both in the beginnings of the church in Romans. Yet they were united together as one body confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. They had the same God, worshipped the same God, and this same God gave a vision to different people with different cultures and different experiences. We see here that this unlikely group of people, Jews and Gentiles, coming together and making one new people, they were both in prayer and in devotion together. Although they had many differences, they had this in common. They prayed together, they worshipped together, they were in devotion together. Both Jews and Greeks had a calling from God to become one new messy family. And that's exactly what family is like, isn't it? Sometimes it's messy. And so is God's family, but it's beautiful and it's new and God loves it that way. A new, messy community that would bring hope to the world, to this world that is so used to different types of tribalism, but needs hope through something new. I think we all know, just looking around and listening to the context that we're in, this world desperately needs hope. In the New Testament, it includes the book of Romans, which we're focusing on in the fall. And here we see a very major turning point in the story of God's salvation. In this major turning point, it's what is often referred to as the conversion of the Gentiles, the conversion people turning to God and, and, uh, and really coming to Jesus as the Lord and Savior that do not have a Jewish cultural background or descent. The conversion of Gentiles, people who felt like they were on the outside of the Old Testament covenant, now waking up to God's love, salvation, and reality. That's one of the main themes here in the book of Romans we see the conversion of Greeks, of Gentiles, of people of all kinds of different cultural backgrounds. And here in the New Testament, we're seeing just a major, major um, shift and turn in the story of God's salvation for the world. 
where suddenly people who felt like outsiders before, by the grace of God, are now becoming insiders. The gospel here reminds us in this, this, this amazing um, new thing that God does in bringing together two cultural groups and making them one family, the gospel reminds us that we need each other. In the book of Romans, we see that outsiders become insiders. They needed each other, those who felt on the outside, those who felt on the inside. They needed each other to make sense of their God-given visions, of their God-given calls. The story and testimony of the early church in Romans where Jews and Greeks become one new people, where they become a Jesus people, that's a reminder to us that um, the early church, Jews and Gentiles made into this new people, that's, that's a, a very important story and a very important reminder to us in 2020 that God's new community, God's unlikely community, is an invitation to overcome prejudice, to overcome prejudgment of another person or of othering other types of people who don't immediately look, think, or act like me. Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles had a lot of prejudices toward one another. But in Christ, they were made one new family. There was prejudice that Jews and Greeks had of each other, and yet through Jesus and the gospel, they were a new community, and they were able to experience healing and restoration together. We see here in the book of Romans with God's new community, uh, Jews and Greeks and Gentiles coming together, we, and God showing no favoritism around there, we see that the Testaments are also coming together. The Old Testament and the New Testament, outsiders are now insiders, and insiders go to outsiders. And here's the truth. We've all felt like outsiders at different points in our lives. We've all felt like insiders at different points and in different seasons as well. Here we see that in God's family, they are both there. We are both a part of the kingdom of God. When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus because of Jesus, whether we feel on the outside or on the inside, we are a part of his kingdom. Because God has broken down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. God has broken down the barrier between insiders and outsiders, humbling both and exalting both on the exact same level. Because God shows no favoritism. In Jesus and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see how God had carried out this plan. The time had come when all people alike, no matter what their background, Gentile as well as Jew, that they could be welcomed into God's family on exactly the same terms because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, God makes a way to welcome the outsider in and to invite the insider 
out for the sake of the outsider. And together, to make this unlikely community. An unlikely community in God's eyes, in the God who shows no favoritism, when there's an unlikely community, that's a kingdom community. When that unlikely community is centered in Christ, that's a kingdom community. And when that unlikely community gets to experience mission by seeing God at work, that's how God can even bring us closer, unite us closer. Insiders are sent out to outsiders, and outsiders, by the power of God, by the grace of God, can become insiders. That's part of the reason why on November 8th here at the church, we're going to have uh, an outreach and a service project here in the city. We're going to reach out. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to have a uh, food and coat drive and a blood drive to be able to extend the invitation and the power of the gospel to a community that so desperately needs this hope. We've said this before at Imago, but here's the truth. Church is not just for church people. Church is not just for church people. It's not just, you know, a nice religious social club. But church family of God is where Gentile and Jew, where, un, where unlikely community, insiders and outsiders could be welcomed in to God's family on exactly the same terms. Because of the blood of Christ, because of the cross and the resurrection, we are welcomed in and God shows no favoritism. The cross is the power of God which brings new life. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to attempt to bring new life and they'll work only until they don't. Rule keeping will not bring new life. Rule breaking will not bring new life. But only what God has done in Jesus Christ to invite us in to make a way where it seemed like there was no way so it's not going to be really religiosity. It's not going to be rebellion. But the invitation of God is to go deeper in profound fellowship. Being a part of is so much more profound than simply being tolerated. In the early church, we see in this new community that God formed up, the two cultural groups now becoming one new group, one new body in Christ. In the early church, Jews and Gentiles did not just tolerate each other. At Imago Church, we don't just tolerate each other. But through Jesus Christ, just like the early church did then and we do today, we become a part of the same family. You and I know that uh, imago means that we're created in the image of God. That's the name of our church. And I remember years ago when I was just 
talking about Imago and inviting people into this mission, into this vision early on. And I would go to all kinds of places to be able to just share about the vision and mission of Imago. And at one point, I actually don't even remember how this happened. I got to meet this small group of, of, uh, of folks in their uh, living room. And they ranged in all kinds of ages. Some of them were 50. But in, in the group that I was talking to, uh, there was an 80-year-old elderly man who was a little bit hard of hearing. And after I shared the whole vision and mission for Imago Church, this elderly man just kind of raised his ear and, and uh, said to me, what's the name of the church? And I said, Imago, Imago Church. And he just said, is that Amigo Church? And as I thought about how to respond to, to his question, you know, I just kind of went with it. I said, yes, sir, Amigo Church. Yes, a church where Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders become amigos. Because we see the imago in each other. Get it? We become amigos when we see imago in each other. I guess it's a dad joke at this point. But our relationships are restored when we see the image of God in one another. We become amigos, we become friends, we become family, we become fellowship when we see the image of God in one another. Not just the image of man-made tribe, but the image of God in one another. That's what makes us a new community, a new family, a resurrection people that's united. Because the gospel, the good news of God, is a story that calls for unity. Going back to basics is going back to unity. And unity requires humility requires honesty. As a community, we choose to give each other grace, to give each other love, and to respect one another. That's part of what humility means and how we can maintain unity. At Imago, here's the truth. We don't have to agree on secondary issues. Yes, we agree on primary issues, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that authority is in the Bible, that we're saved by grace and faith alone, and, uh, and, and those core matters. But on secondary issues, we have unity on those core matters. On secondary issues, we have diversity of views. But in everything, we choose to give each other grace we choose to give each other love and respect, especially in differences and in disagreements on secondary matters. And in fact, being that community who chooses to give each other grace, love, and respect in the midst of our differences, that's actually what makes us a gospel community. Not the uniformity in ideas, but the unity in a resurrected Lord who by His power breaks the dividing walls of hostilities down 
And he makes the two groups into one new group, into a new humanity, a new creation. That's the new thing that God is up to. In chapters 1 to 4, we see this warning from God to not be so rash to judgment, but to give each other that grace, that love, that respect. In Romans 2, 1 to 4, it says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, uh, who is a mere human being, when you pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Wow. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. God's kindness is what leads us to a change of mind, to a change of ways. What if we took on that same godly attitude, that same godly trait? What if it was our kindness that helped lead others to repentance. The gospel is an invitation that calls for unity, through humility, through respect and grace for one another. And in fact, this uh, theme of unity is an ongoing theme in the book of Romans. It's a theme throughout the scriptures and especially in the New Testament. And we get a very practical step for how to live out this unity. The early church, this unlikely community of Jews and Greeks and Gentiles, they learned what it means to maintain unity with Christ at the center. They learned this from experience and perhaps they had to keep relearning this over and over and over again because it's not going to be perfect. Remember, God's unlikely community, God's family is messy at times. And we are, at the end of the day, imperfect people worshiping a perfect God, but we can choose to give each other grace just as God has given us grace. We can choose to give each other love and respect just as God has given us love. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. The early church learned this from this experience and perhaps learned it over and over again. Humility enables us to truly see ourselves as we are. Humility frees us to view God as God truly is. A God that is powerful, a God that is sovereign, a God that is kind, a God that is merciful, a God that is gracious, a God that is both trustworthy and praiseworthy. Humility eliminates all of our attempts to categorize and dehumanize one another based on tribe, based on ethnicity, or language, or party preference, or social status. 
the grace of God and our willingness to humble ourselves. That's what puts us all on the same level. That's what puts us all on common ground. Friends, brothers, sisters, the first step toward unity in Jesus Christ is humility. It's honesty. Because the gospel is a story of how God humbles himself to become like us so that we could be united with God and with one another. So the first step toward unity is humility. It's honesty. It's seeing God for who God is. It's seeing us for who we are. So if that's the case, then what causes disunity? What causes tribalism? Obviously in the world, but also amongst those in the church at times. Well, as I've read through the scriptures and and, uh, really reflected on my own pastoral experience, I've come to realize that what causes disunity, what causes separation, are really two main things, pride and anxiety. Pride and anxiety is a tool that will be used to disconnect us, to disconnect us from God and disconnect us from others. And in fact, when we think about the thing behind the thing behind the thing, what causes our anxiety? Anxiety is trying to play God. Anxiety is thinking that I need to take over this situation. Anxiety is a refusal to believe that God loves us in this new radical way that makes a way. The radical way that proclaims that Everything is going to be all right. In God's hands, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. That's God's radical new love and message and invitation to you. There is nothing that I or any amount of anxiety or pride can do to change that. Anxiety leads to fear and fear leads to making enemies making enemies of our neighbors, of our brothers and sisters, of other people created in the image of God. The early church in the book of Romans learned a very important lesson. This is what they learned. They learned that the actual human opponents are in fact not the real enemy. Jews learned that Gentiles were not the real enemy. Gentiles learned that Jews were not the real enemy. Jews and Gentiles learned of each other, but they are actually, they they learned from one another in doing life together that they are actually on the same common ground. They are broken sinners in desperate need of God's grace. People like you and people like me. Desperate for the grace of God. Broken sinners in need of the grace of God. Our unity is not what we call ourselves, but our unity is in who God calls us to be. And I love how he repeats this over and over again in the scriptures. I will be your God and you will be my people. We are his people. We are his children through faith. So going back to basics in this season means going back to our calling, going back to our identity 
as the church, as the people of God. And as the church, we share in our worship of God in Jesus Christ. We're united in a mission to witness to this new creation. And in doing so, we seek the peace and the flourishing of all. Unity in Christ calls us for an end. It calls for an end to our obsession with putting people in different levels of inherent value or of categorization of people. Unity is actually a resource for civility. Wow, some of you may be thinking at home. Does that actually still exist in 2020? Civility? Respect? Well, here's the answer. If you are a follower of Jesus, then the answer is yes. Civility and respect for other people created in the image of God is a call and a requirement for God's people. And it says here in verse 5, just a little bit of a warning of what happens when we refuse to give others created in the image of God that civility, that respect. Verse 5 says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. To be a Jesus people, it calls us to a respect and a civility of honoring God by respecting one another as well. Some of you may be saying, well, Pastor Carlos, the truth is that sometimes when I turn on the TV or when I listen to the radio, maybe all you see is Christians behaving badly and sometimes having uncivil, acting uncivilly sometimes. Well, my response to that is, yeah, that, that I hear you. And the truth is that all families have a crazy uncle, even God's family as well. You and I, all joking aside, we're united not in our best selves or our best ideas, but together as a community, we're going back to basics. That reminds us that we're united in following a crucified and resurrected Savior who through his resurrection power creates a new people, a new humanity. The good news of God is that in the gospel, we're called to lay down our tribalism. And instead, we're called to be a part of God's beloved community. An unlikely community. With Christ at the center. And that's very good news. That's a breath of fresh air in this context of polarization and tribalism everywhere that we look. That's what united this unlikely community in the book of Romans. That's what united Jews and Gentiles in the early church. Not their best selves or their worst selves, but what united them was their trust and faith in a crucified and resurrected Savior. 
So as we close out here this morning, I'll leave you with this question. How big is your story? If my story is all about me and mine, then I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee you this. My story is going to, be going to become smaller and smaller and smaller. We'll become petty people. But if we live into a call to unity, our story will become bigger and bigger and bigger. Where we're no longer apart from, but we're forever a part of in Christ. And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Jesus, the invitation is there for you today. Place your trust, place your hope in him, call upon him to be your savior. He will save you, he will make you new. And this is radical because the early church in Rome, they were able to love and serve in their mission context, which was Rome. They were able to do this when they knew that they as followers of Jesus, they did not belong to Rome primarily. They did not belong to this nation or to that nation primarily, but they belonged to Christ with their citizenship in heaven, belonging to the kingdom of God in Christ. The early church then, just as us today, we belong to God's family. We belong to the kingdom in which all people can find a place to belong. The greatest reality and the best security that we can find is through abiding in Christ. It is through the living person and work of Jesus Christ that the church, you and me, God's family, God's unlikely community, it is through Jesus Christ that you and I as the church are eternally united. And together we shout, Amen. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you fill us with a mysterious joy. When we're united, Lord, with people that we wouldn't typically belong with, yet we're able to see your image and we're able to go deeper with you in that very amazing and fresh new way, Lord. Thank you that we are loved by you. Thank you that by your grace, we can cast our cares, our fears, our burdens, our anxieties on you this morning. Today, Lord, we choose to believe that your word is true, that your grace is real and sufficient, Lord. Take us back to basics. A basics, Lord, that views ourselves and one another's for who we really are. Your family, your people. Help us, God, to see you as the God declared here in Romans 2, a God who shows no favoritism. And help us to do the same in order to bring hope, living hope, to this world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.